Hi, welcome back again. Three Worlds Podcast, Series 3, Episode um, 8. <laughs> I forgot where I was then. And uh, I've got an awful lag in my headphone. I can hear an echo. I've got to do something about that. That's better. Okay, tweak a control in my recording studio. That's better. Right, so we're going to talk more about Tibetan things today. Uh, probably more Tantra than Shamanism, but we'll see. Who knows? I have no idea what I'm going to talk about, you know. I don't plan these things. Me? Plan? Good God, wash your mouth out. But it's not quite true, because I did plan. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Dakinis and about Turton. Now, Turton... That's a really interesting, really interesting kind of concept. Padmasambhava, who I talked about in previous podcasts, he popped off into Tibet, stomped about the place and made all the spirits take an oath of kind of becoming protectors of Buddhism. And uh, he taught... Buddhism there really for the first time, met his consort Yeshi Sogyal and did all sorts of miracles and whatever and they all lived happily ever after but it wasn't quite like that because Padmasambhava was a bit of a prophet, a bit of a person who kind of could foresee the future and he foresaw various things, one of which was that Tibetan Buddhism would struggle and indeed, it did struggle. You know, we think of Tibet as this incredibly sort of Buddhist country. But actually, after he died, it it sort of went back a bit. And, and Bon increased and shamanism kind of increased and Buddhism kind of lost its, its footing. And Parmasambhava, he knew this would happen. And he magically worked with Takinis and other spirits to hide ritual objects and teachings and, well, I guess that's about it, really, ritual objects and teachings, sacred things for future generations. And it said that his apprentices, his students at the time, they kind of um, got born again, in, you know, reincarnated into future lives as a special sort of practitioner called a Turton, who were able to locate these hidden teachings and hidden ritual objects, which is called Terma, or which are called terma. Now there's two sorts of terma. There are physical bits and pieces like statues, purbas, other things, other things that are actually physical, ritual objects. And there are mind terma. Now mind terma are whole sets of teachings which to use modern kind of methods of data storage, they're kind of stored on a cloud. Yeah, it's like cloud computing. Padmasambhava 
gathered all these teachings together and uploaded them to a kind of spirit server in the sky somewhere, the cloud. And a Turton, who is able to access these, knows how to kind of log into the cloud and knows all the passwords and everything else and downloads them. And they get an instant download. They get a complete system of practice, the teachings, any songs associated with it, any dances associated with it, absolutely everything comes down in a kind of download from the information that Padmasambhava put in the cloud all those centuries ago. Other people kind of don't get that. A Turton is a very special person in this regard. And other Turton are kind of, they specialise in, um, in physical things. They specialise in finding ritual objects. Purabas are a particular favourite. Um, but these are hidden magically. They're not kind of like just buried in, in a little plot somewhere by a tree. And it's not like you kind of get the treasure map and walk three paces to the east and then two paces to the north and dig at the spot mark with an X. They are magically hidden. They are put into cliff faces. They are buried at the bottom of frozen lakes. They are hidden in boulders behind waterfalls. And the Turton knows at certain points that it is revealed to them, very often, generally, in fact, revealed via Dakinis that come to them and tell them where these things are. And then by a kind of magical process, they are able to reach into the rock. Again, very often using a purba a Purba which kind of opens a portal in this reality. If you're familiar with the Philip Pullman idea of the subtle knife, you know, that knife that cuts holes in the fabric of reality, that's one of the things really that are the teachings around Purbas. Purbas are able to do that in the hands of a skillful practitioner. They cut through solid rock like butter, and the and the uh, the turton can reach inside the, inside the rock, and and pull out what is hidden in there. Now, you can imagine these are kind of fairly special people, and they are born that way. They're kind of you can't you know you you either are a turton or you're not a turton, and it's very much connected with the the Nyingma tradition in Tibetan Buddhism, which was the first school of Buddhism that Padmasambhava kind of created, the ancient school as it's as it's called in English, the Red Hats. Um, so a Turton will be kind of able to manifest this. There are, there are extraordinary stories. I was reading uh, 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 some stories about a Turton recently um, where uh, his teacher was able to manifest Purbas in the air and this particular Turton reached into the air and took one of the Purbas and used it as his own Purba then for the rest of his life. Kind of a magical Purba that had emerged from nowhere. So a Turton has to have a special 
consort, a female consort. I've never heard of a female turton. I don't think there are any. And I don't in any way mean that to be sexist. But that's part of the dichotomy of Tibet is that it's incredibly chauvinistic and all of the kind of big name practitioners generally, not all, but generally, are male. And I don't think there are any female tertons. I've certainly never heard of one. So a turton will have to be catalyzed by finding a consort and the consort will become his spiritual wife his sabyom and she takes the role of the tikini and it's through that relationship and the kind of the the the, the energetic sexual practices that the couple engage in that the turton is empowered and able to then kind of receive the teachings from the Dakinis and he will have to go to the place where the terma is, the treasure is, at a certain time and there has to be correct auspicious circumstances and signs and then if the time is right and everything is correct and aligned he will be able to retrieve the treasure and there is a whole history of these, they still exist today this is still a living tradition. One of the most famous Turtons was a 19th century Turton called Turton Sogyal. Um, and there is, there's a wonderful book about him uh, written by an Italian author. I'm afraid I can't remember the name of the author, but the book is in English and it's very interesting read talking about all of the exploits of Turton Sogyal who was uh, famous in Tibet at the time and was a teacher of the Dalai Lama at that time in Tibet. Spent most of his life doing magical practices to defend Tibet about, uh, against the Chinese, but also went around the place uh, sort of retrieving treasure in the most extraordinary way. And of course these Terma treasures whether they are ritual objects or whole sets of teachings, are considered to be incredibly precious. And um, if they're a ritual object, they will be handed down in traditions. Um, I, I uh, have been fortunate enough to be able to, to hold uh, several um, terma purba, uh, I know uh, a Rinpoche that has several of these objects and uh, in his shrine room one day with him and he handed them to me and I was able to hold them. And they are the most amazing things. They're obviously incredibly ancient. Um, I don't know how much power they have. I mean, i I, I, I got to be honest, I didn't feel anything kind of like, you know, they didn't hum, they didn't buzz, they didn't have coloured lights floating around them. And yet... They are obviously extremely special and, and precious things. Um, the story with those was that they were made by the blacksmith spirit of uh, Tibetan Buddhism, who is also the blacksmith spirit of the Buryat Mongol shamans. Uh, in, uh, in Mongolia, he is called as uh, Damjen Dolek, and in Tibet, he is... Damjen Gawa Nagpo, and uh, he made these Purubas for Padmasambhava, this is the story, he made them for Padmasambhava out of iron collected from different planets, not from the earth, 
and then gave them to Padmasambhava and Padmasambhava placed them in rocks and various other places in Tibet. And uh, then at a future time, kind of three, four hundred years in the future or whatever, when Tibet was in a sort of darker place, Turtons were born and they were able to locate and bring out the terma so as to kind of develop Buddhism, to empower Buddhism again in the land. And like I say, these things are still happening, not just in Tibet, but in all of the sort of greater Tibetan area like Bhutan and Ladakh and Nepal and all of those cultures that kind of are offshoots of Tibetan Buddhism. Now, the teachings side of, of Terma, um, sometimes they are also found physically in the form of manuscripts, but they're not written in Tibetan. They're written in a language called Dakini script, and the Turtan will be able to translate them. And they are apparently extremely complex complex, compound, highly kind of zipped um, forms of language. So one sheet of a manuscript into Kini script uh, will expand to a complete book in Tibetan or English of the teachings. So sometimes they kind of find them like that and then sometimes they kind of get beamed down from the cloud. So it's an extraordinary... Uh, tradition i don't know of any other magical tradition anywhere in the world like it i mean no i, I really can't think of any and the dakinis are incredibly important because they guard the, the the treasure as well as providing the information as to how to get it and uh they also are um are guarded by other spirits different spirits will be around the treasure and protect it and they stop non-Turtons finding it and they have kind of wrathful uh, manifestations of, of kind of activity um, around uh, other people, you know, people who are not worthy of getting it, basically. It's like, you know, you, you don't go to this sacred place because, you know, you might get got by the guardians. Very interesting tradition indeed, and uh, there are various books about it. The uh, the one about Turton Sogyal, I, I highly recommend. I will pause the recording in a moment and uh, go and get it and tell you what the title is. So I just listened to this back, um, having gone and wandered around my bookcase and grabbed it, grabbed the book, and uh, heard that I'd said earlier in this recording that Padmasambhava died, or after he had died. And I just wanted to correct myself there, because the teachings around Padmasambhava is that he didn't die. He went off to uh, a kind of parallel world, which is called the Copper-Coloured Mountain. And he sits on the Copper-Coloured Mountain and can be approached and prayed to and helps practitioners uh, today and in fact behind me as I'm recording this there's a tanker of Padmasambhava a tanker is a scroll painting Tibetan scroll painting of Padmasambhava riding his horse um, into a kind of landscape full of rainbows which are the uh, the kind of parts of the gateway that take him to the copper-coloured mountain anyway 
Enough of that. The book, which I have retrieved from my bookcase, is called Fearless in Tibet, The Life of the Mystic Turton Sogyal by Matteo Pistono. Very good book. Very good book. I will read you an extract. I will read you a small extract from the book. This is from a chapter called Discovering the Wish-Fulfilling Jewel Guru Statue. In Turton Sogyal's 35th year, he revealed a guidebook to the statue, which stated, Just as the veins of the body converge at the heart, go to the auspicious cave where there are seven stone steps. You will see on the rock wall an eight-spoked wheel. In the middle of the wheel there will be Dakini script. There, behind... Look for the blessed statue. The guide also instructed about the astrologically appropriate date for revelation, the number of students who should accompany him, and the purification rituals to conduct, all of which needed to come together perfectly. The guidebook concluded, When Padmasambhava hid this statue, he entrusted it to Rahula, the nine-headed Dharma protector, and the Naga treasure guardians. These two guardians will watch over the statue for many centuries. Rahula led Turton Sogyal to the sacred mountain. He took with him 25 yogis and yoginis. As they walked through the rocky terrain and deep ravines, the entire group began having visions of Padmasambhava. Clouds formed in the sky into mantra syllables. Om Ma Hong Benzra Guru Pamasidi Hum. That's the mantra of Padmasambhava. After weeks of rituals, Turton Sogyal and his monk assistant Dorje ascended the mountain one morning to search for the door to the treasure. When they found the seven steps that led to the eight spoked wheel, Turton Sogyal withdrew his Purupadaga and struck the rock in four places. He told Dorje to bore out holes, and Turton Sogyal placed precious stones of coral, turquoise, amber and crystal beads. Turton Sogyal carved a large hole in the rock and placed ten Z-beads in a conch shell. Before returning to camp, Turton Sogyal concealed the holes and told Dorje to maintain great secrecy about what he had hidden. The students continued to conduct extensive ceremonies during the waxing August moon. On the 14th day of the lunar month, Tertan Sogyo told them to prepare a ritual feast. The next morning, he and Dorje walked up the mountain with a few others. When Turton Sogyo climbed the rock staircase, the treasure door to a vault opened by itself, and Dorje helped Turton Sogyo remove a large treasure casket, two arm lengths long. Turton Sogyo put a treasure replacement of ten golden coins in the crypt and closed the stone door. The casket was extremely heavy, and the other yogis approached to help take it down. They put the treasure casket on the back of two helpers, but they could hardly take a step without losing their balance because of the weight. 
Turtensogil hoisted the load onto his own back and hiked down the mountain with granite scree rolling off cliffs to either side of him. One of the Yoginis met Turtensogil on the trail and ceremonially led him back to camp, holding incense and singing mantras. The other yogis and yoginis had cleaned the camp and prepared a ritual feast. Turtensogil set the heavy stone casket next to the offerings, offered devotional prayers to Padmasambhava and made offerings to Rahula and the treasure guardians living in the underworld, including blessed milk for the Nagas. Turtensogil distributed palm-sized ritual mirrors that the yogis and yoginis fixed to their belts as protection against any sorcery which they may have recently come into contact with. Turtensogil approached the stone casket, washed it with saffron-infused water and purified it with incense. With the help of his treasure guardians, invisible to all except him, he lifted the lid to the casket, wherein sat the statue. A bit like Indiana Jones, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's uh, a report written at the time or just after the time in 19th century Tibet, translated into English and kind of put into a narrative form. But, but you know, this is not a novel. This is not a story. And the more you read about the Turtons, the more you will kind of come across story after story after story of their extraordinary exploits. Just kind of explain a couple of little bits and pieces in there in that story. Um, yogis are nagpas, basically, and yoginis are female. They are uh, nagma. And um, Rahula is one of the three main protector spirits of the Nyingmapa Buddhist school. There are three. Uh, there is Rahula, uh, who is uh, kind of um, half serpent and, and half sort of male figure, but but he has a great open mouth on his uh, on his belly, and he has nine heads, and uh, he rises out of a kind of great ocean of blood, an enormous figure. The nine heads are planets which he has eaten with his belly mouth and they have gone up and formed into heads on top of him. And then there's another one. There's a, a, a one-eyed, one-breasted sort of uh, female being called Ekijati, who again is huge, and she's so uh, shown as being huge by the fact that she's devouring a star. And then there is uh, another spirit, which is a manifestation of the blacksmith spirit, called Dujilegpa, who I guess I always think of Dorji Legpa as kind of human size, but maybe he's not. And uh, he rides a snow leopard. Uh, sorry, not a snow leopard, a snow lion. Sorry, snow lion. And uh, so those three are the main protectors, protector spirits of the uh, Nyingmapa Buddhist lineage. Ekijati has got eyes all over his body too. Probably worth mentioning that. He's got eyes all over him so that he can see all beings in all of the three worlds. And he, uh, he shoots uh, a, a bow, an arrow. 
Now, there's one other aspect about Tursans which I think I need to mention too, and that's another interesting concept that you find in Tibet. And it's it's the concept of bezel or bail. And um, they are hidden lands. Just like uh, Turton will reveal hidden treasure, Turton also reveal entrances to hidden lands which are kind of sacred valleys within the mountains of the Himalayas. And uh, these lands are places of refuge. When times are tough in Tibet, it's said that the Turtons will open, they will reveal doorways into these sacred lands which are hidden, and groups of practitioners will enter these sacred landscapes and continue to kind of practice and live in them. I think historically this is probably something that kind of actually happened in that there are so many little valleys and different places in Tibet and surrounding areas that historically groups of people kind of discovered them, maybe, you know, went up a ravine one day and it led through into a kind of hidden valley and then you could populate that valley. And I think this has become mythologized. Um, but, you know, again, if you read the accounts, uh, there's some pretty strange accounts of things that, that happen and places that have been discovered. The most famous of these is Shambhala. Shambhala, which kind of got transformed into Shangri-La in the West, is a hidden kind of city-state, is a, is a hidden valley, a hidden place that is outside of time and outside of physical geography, which only kind of experienced very deeply practical practitioners, I can't say it, people who really know their arm from their elbow or their arse from their elbow magically they can kind of approach and go into and um, you know they're supposed to be kings of Shambhala and things like that which is it, it's kind of this mythical land a little bit like Atlantis is, is a kind of mythical equivalent in the west but uh, Shambhala is kind of there but invisible unless you've kind of got the power to see it and there are lots of these some of them are small some of them are large different bales around the place uh, and lots of stories, and they have to be opened at the right time, by the right person, under the right circumstances. It's exactly the same as sticking a purba into a rock and pulling out a, another purba or a bell or a dorje or a statue. It has to be done by the right person, by a turton. Well, I thought talking about terma would take me about mm, seven or eight minutes, and here we are, 27 minutes in so it feels like it's taken up the entire podcast this time so it's time for me to finish so i'll just sort of say the websites and things if you would like to uh, subscribe to sacred hoop magazine where we kind of talk more about these sorts of things and have articles and whatever just like a real magazine isn't it hey ah you can do so by going to sacredhoop.org forward slash offer dot html offer is lowercase o double f e r and uh, the three worlds website where there are lots of ritual objects and articles you can download and all of that lot is triple w three the number three worlds dot co dot uk and if you're on Facebook, come and join the Facebook group, the Three World Shamanism Facebook group, because it's really active and we have some really good posts and some really good, knowledgeable people in there. 
So it's a great place to talk to others and to ask questions and all of that. My email address, nick at sacredhoop.org. Although I have to say I'm getting an awful lot of emails and I'm getting really bad at replying to them. But you can try. I love getting the emails, but I may not be able to reply. So if you don't mind the fact that maybe you won't get a reply, email me and maybe you will get a reply. And then you'll be really surprised and need to sit down. Ah, anything else I need to say? I can't think of anything. I think that might be about it, you know. Oh, um, if you would like to make a donation to help support this podcast, to help pay for the hosting and things like that, which we have to pay for each month, um, you can make a PayPal donation to donation at sacredhoop.org. And all donations are gratefully received. Um, Yeah, I think that really is about it this time. I was going to talk about other things which I didn't get through to. We'll... uh, I'll come back to those another time, I guess, but probably not next time. I think three podcasts on the hoof about Tibet is enough, so we'll I'll return to Tibet at a later date and we'll do something different next time. But I hope you've enjoyed this one, as I say each time. And uh, be good, be careful, have fun. Rock and roll dudes, catch you next time. All right, bye-bye.